Amen. And turn around and say hello and good evening and then be seated. Thank you so much. I trust you had a great day today. The world calls it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. And uh, everybody had a chance to kind of take it easy this afternoon. And my sweet wife spoiled us with a wonderful home-cooked meal. And uh, we had a wonderful time today. And uh, I have to admit, we worked most of the day, but uh, we just had a wonderful repast, a special time. And um, it's good just to be able to, when everything's whirling around you going so fast, it's good to be able to just stop and uh, take a moment. Many of you had family and friends together, and that's good. And uh, even if you didn't, we've got the Lord. And so praise God for that truth. Now, I have uh, a number of things that we'll share offline we do have the Apron Strings and Pockets Ladies and Girls Spring Tea coming up. We'll talk about that a little bit and getting the maximum crowd out so people can benefit. Uh, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And a number of other things uh, on through the summer, uh, culminating the end of summer, we'll be out at the Prince William County Fairground and we'll have those two booths and we'll be winning souls to Christ. It's going to be a great busy time of year, but between now and then, God will give us grace to get it all done. I trust that you've been in your Bible and uh, you've been reading your Bible. Today, to read through the Bible, we're in Judges 17, 18, and 19, Romans 5 and 6 in the New Testament. But for right now, we're going to go back to the Scripture where we were. We're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 53. As I have preached from this passage on numerous occasions, and even recently, uh, there are so many uh, separate aspects to it it's inexhaustible. It is one of the key Old Testament prophetic passages pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. And we do sometimes see Jesus Christ upon a white horse, or we see Him on the throne. We see Him ruling. We see Him in His power and might and majesty. And at other times, we see Him suffering. And that's where rightly dividing the word of truth comes in. Uh, if you haven't already memorized 2 Timothy 2.15, you need to do that and understand all the implications thereof. There the Apostle Paul is saying to younger Timothy, he's saying, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now the word for rightly dividing is a word that uh, would be used if you were cutting material. And Paul was by human trade a tent maker. Every Jewish boy had to learn a trade. And the trade that he learned was to cut tent material and sew and make tents. And he was able to do that between ministries and support himself. Even though he was a highly educated man, spoke more languages than anybody else he knew, uh, he, he did have to do that on occasion. So he would use some of the language, uh, some of the expressive and colorful and detailed language. And when the Bible says, rightly dividing the word of truth, Back before there ever was a creation, when the Word of God, of course, was written down, established, settled in heaven, according to Psalm 119, verse 89, that word was used. God knew that He would prepare a man like Saul, that Saul would grow up, he would be a tent maker, and he would use that particular word. Rightly dividing means to cut straight. It means to order and organize properly. And when we uh, look at the Scriptures, we remember that we believe in the organizational principles of Scripture, the right interpretation of Scripture in its context, and rightly dividing helps us to remember that 
there is, of course, the first advent of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The first advent is uh, the first coming when he was uh, born as a baby in Bethlehem. And the second advent is in two parts, when he comes back, first of all, for us, and later we come back with him, so he comes back with us, uh, and that will be uh, at two different ends of the time known as the Great Tribulation or time of Jacob's trouble. But that's the future. We're looking for Jesus to come, amen? He could come any moment in the twinkling of an eye. He's going to come and take us home. But until then, none of that future prophecy could ever come to pass if Jesus Christ had not been willing to come and take our place. Aren't you glad that he did? He took our place. There would, there would be nothing of what we experience now and what we have to look forward to in the future if Jesus had not been willing to come. And so he came and he did suffer and he experienced a lot of things. Uh, he is the God-man. He's God in a body. He did experience a lot of things that will help us to understand what we will go through and how we will go through it. All right, let's begin at verse number 1 of Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There's a, a double meaning here. You need to be aware of this. At no point during his first coming did Jesus Christ intentionally draw attention to himself. Uh, so he was, he was not like uh, immediately going to gain your attention. Uh, he's going to look like any other uh, normal child growing up. He's going to look like any normal uh, Jewish male uh, uh, there in uh, Nazareth, he is going to look like just anybody else would. He doesn't, he, he doesn't appear in any significantly different fashion. There is nothing special that would mark him outwardly. Also, I said there is a double meaning here. When he died, there was nothing pretty, physically speaking, about his visage or his form, which was marred when he was so beaten and so disfigured in order to die the death that he died and shed the blood that he did to save us. So we have that there. What do we learn from it? We learn that Jesus Christ was willing to go through the extreme for you and me, uh, was not drawing attention to himself. Was, did, he did not come to win a popularity contest, though at uh, the early stages of his ministry, there were a great host of curiosity seekers who were following him. A lot of hangers on. A lot of people who had come just because they wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see the sideshow. They wanted to see somebody get healed. They wanted to see something. What's he going to do next? And then there were those, as we mentioned last week on Palm Sunday, that were looking to make him king on that first advent. But he didn't come the first time to be the physical king over a physical kingdom. He came to be the king of our soul. He came to save us from our sins and to give us a new life. Now, this is speaking of what he went through. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That likewise has a double meaning. That's John uh, 1, 11. He came unto his own. He came unto his own people. He came unto his own family. Neither his people nor his family accepted him on the grounds that he came, on the terms that he came. He was rejected. So he experienced rejection on a personal 
level. Why? Well, to fulfill Scripture, obviously, that we see here. But secondly, to also give us a pattern. We don't have to go looking for a reason to be disenfranchised. Uh, Jesus said it very plainly. He said, uh, if they hate you, they hated me first. Jesus Christ was rejected on the terms that he came by his own family and by his own people. And a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, or among his own countrymen. The, the various gospels give us different forms of that, but that's the concept, that you're not going to automatically gain acceptance and approval. People are not going to especially uh, choose you to, sh to shower favor and, uh, and glory upon because you're doing the will of God. When you do the will of God, there is but one that we have to please. And who is that? That's the Lord. We're here for the purpose of bringing honor and glory and pleasing Him. We are here for His own good pleasure. So when it says He is despised and rejected of men, that is exactly what happened. It happened, of course, uh, culminated in His, in his uh, crucifixion. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All during His earthly so sojourn, He experienced this disenfranchisement, this distance. Imagine what it would be like Growing up in a home, there were other half-siblings that he grew up with, James, Jude, uh, two other uh, half-brothers, uh, at least uh, two uh, females, two sisters. We don't know how many total, but Joseph and Mary had children. And so Jesus, being the eldest child in the home, grew up with these other kids. And, of course, they had sin natures, and he didn't. What does that mean? That means that he's not going to be the popular one. That means that he is, uh, unless he is falsely accused and pays, you know, the chastisement uh, of some other child for what they did, uh, he is, he is going to basically, basically escape a lot of those experiences that you and I went through. I discovered firsthand about chastisement. How about you? Amen? Amen. How many of you could have used a few more spankings? Come on. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I'm looking down at preacher's kid right now. All right. I know how it is. Been there, done that. All right. So he was, he was despised, rejected, acquainted with grief. He had all kinds of, of this detachment, this distance for various reasons. We have detachment for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves and, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not a good thing necessarily, but it may be because of our faith. It may be because of our testimony. And hopefully when, when people oppose us, it's not because we've made ourselves obnoxious but it's because they don't agree with our Savior. They don't agree with our stand. They don't agree with, uh, with, our, uh, with our position as believers in this, this whole economy. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. So Jesus Christ did not win popularity contest during the course of His life on earth. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's... Very mysterious, but it's a wonderful verse. When Jesus Christ was crucified, you notice that the disciples didn't hang around and say, oh, well, go ahead, take me, beat me first. Uh, when, when Jesus was taken in the garden that night, you know, they came with a great, huge number of soldiers, and Jesus showed his relative superiority uh, by what he said when he claimed to be deity. He said, he said those words that caused them all to fall back. And he, he could have, you know, called 10,000 angels. He could have, he could have uh, 
thought the thought or spoken the word and dissolved all of the enemy, but he didn't do that because it was God's plan for him to become the Lamb of God. And he knew that. He understood that. He had just prayed about that. Sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And even though there was a half-hearted effort by uh, Peter, you know, to cut off somebody's head, took off somebody's ear instead, and Jesus healed the, the, priest, uh, the high priest's uh, servant. Nevertheless, uh, they all forsook him and fled. They were all gone. So there he is. He's alone, and he's taken, and he's tried. Kangaroo court trial at night, illegal, couldn't do it. Didn't, didn't have the proper, uh, the proper format, didn't have... Uh, didn't allow him uh, witnesses and so forth. Just tried him because they had one goal in mind. That was to kill him, to put him away. They had to, they had to get rid of him because he represented a threat to their religious scam. The religious leaders of that day, many, if they did not know, they strongly suspected who he was. They wanted him gone because they had a good thing going, they thought. And so he's, he's condemned. And uh, he's taken out, crucified, as we have uh, showed you already on our uh, chronological um, placement of events that week. He died on a Wednesday and was placed in the tomb three days and three nights in the grave, rose from the dead. But there he is, smitten of God, the Bible says. That means that God was sovereign through the whole process. We're going to see a little bit later on another part, another phase or side of this mystery, but smitten of God and afflicted. Why? Because sin has to be paid for. There is a divine debt for sin. That's why the smitten of God, that's why it says that. There are those people who say, well, you know, the Lord was, he was wrestling with the devil and the devil got him up on the cross. The devil didn't have anything to do with getting him on the cross. Jesus Christ went voluntarily. He says, no man take takes my life from me. So he's on the cross as part of God's divine plan, and he is smitten of God to pay the penalty of our sins, to pay the sin debt. Afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's one aspect of our sin. Transgression, when we trespass, when we, when we go over the line, that's transgression. Bruised for our iniquities. That's the down and dirty aspect of of our sins. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now we're getting into the total package of what we believe about healing. Now our Pentecostal friends uh, make a, a much stronger, much stronger emphasis upon the physical healing and upon signs and wonders. So they'll have healing meetings. They'll lay on hands. They'll, you know, the guy will pop you in the head. They'll, they'll declare that, you're, you know, that your cancer is gone and so on and so forth. And while God is the healer, Jesus is the great physician, this healing encompasses far more than just our physical ailment that we have. We are, according to 1 Thessalonians, we are spirit, soul, and body in that order. We are tripartite. The, the, the highest priority given to the spirit. The spirit is the real you, the real me inside of this body. The real you, the real me, and the spirit is the part that God communicates with and we communicate with God. That's the most important part. That's the priority. Second is the soul. Now, I realize that sometimes we speak of the soul 
uh, and that includes the spirit, all of the immaterial part, and we say uh, his soul was saved and so forth. But when you're dividing spirit from soul, as we see in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God does that. In that case, the spirit is that which is spiritual, and the soul is that which may be more emotional. So we are spirit and soul, which is personality and emotions, and we are body. We're those three. And we can get sick. We can be afflicted in any or all three of those parts. We can be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, as well as physically ill. Now, the physical illness, for example, the cancer or the, the heart failure, the diabetes or whatever, is uh, likely going to be on the death certificate. They're going to say, well, he died, she died of this ailment or of complications due to such and so. You know what I'm saying. But the, the deeper sickness and the one with which we should be most concerned is the spiritual and the emotional and mental aspects that affect so many people. We're going to be looking at that closely. In fact, let's just take a moment right now. And the song that we sang, The Healer, by Lois Irwin, and I, I have to tell you, uh, she was a great songwriter. She wrote some other great songs. Uh, I believe she was Assembly of God or Pentecostal. I don't know. But she said some good things in here. And uh, she speaks about the physical healing of the leper and so forth. And that is very, very true. Jesus healed the lepers. He cleansed the lepers. He, he healed blind folks, lame folks. Uh, he cast out demons. He raised the dead. All of that. Very, very important. When Jesus, the giver of life, gave up his life voluntarily, in that whole process, he was providing for, during our lifetime, this restoration that would take place, starting with our spirit being restored. Before I got saved, the spiritual part of my life was dead, was non-operative. I had to be quickened. I had to be made alive. So until then, the restoration, you know, of my spirit was, uh, was, that was necessary was total and complete. I had nothing going on. There are people, before they get saved, they say, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was interested, I was curious, I was drawn, whatever. And they will describe from their human experience uh, something that was going on prior to their actually getting saved. But there was no uh, genuine life there until we are quickened, until we're made alive. And that happens when we are born again, when we receive Christ as our Savior. Now, throughout our life, there may be times when we are wounded, and when we're beat up and we, we need to have uh, some, some healing in that area, emotionally, uh, mentally as well, relationally, these things happen. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Surely he bore our sorrows and by his stripes we are healed. There is no guaranteed physical healing just because there's a healing meeting or a group of people who say, you know, that Jesus died for our healing. The, the least aspect of that healing process is the physical healing. And even if we have a divine intervention and we are miraculously healed of our cancer, of our diabetes, our heart condition, our high blood pressure, whatever it is, unless the rapture takes place first, you're going to die somewhere between now and then. So even if you get restored physically, uh, that's short-lived. And how short-lived is it? Well, folks are living to 100 now, 
but they're not living to 150. So it's going to happen pretty soon. Even if you pray and God miraculously intervenes and you get better, you're going to die later. We were talking about it, talking about taking care of our bodies, taking supplements. We take supplements. We eat pretty healthy and uh, praise God for that. And uh, just kind of laughing about the fact you get to heaven and, and uh, you're at the gate and you're about to come in. They say, you know, you were supposed to get here 20 years ago. And then I'm thinking, if I hadn't lived so well, I would have gotten there on time. But that's, you know, it's just kidding. Uh, the truth of the matter is we've got a stewardship to take care of our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we need to take care of ourselves. We need to live as long and as healthy as we possibly can. The quality of our life needs to be as high as it possibly can. For what reason? So that we can serve Him effectively. That's it. So in the meantime, you know, we may have those interventions take place. Have, have you ever been prayed for? You felt like you were at death's door and you know, a bunch of people prayed for you and God miraculously intervened. And that, you know, if that's happened to you, uh, we are not denying that. God does that. Even if God uses doctors and hospitals and medicines, uh, God is still the healer. So we understand that. But that's not the most important. That's not the highest priority. The highest priority is for us to be whole, entire, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I want my body to feel good, but you know what? I want to have my spirit lined up with the Lord. So when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And there's a healing process that goes on there. Uh, we want to keep short accounts with God. We want to make sure that emotionally we're not like the waves of the sea, up and down and up and down. Instead, we want, we want the spirit in which the Spirit of God dwells to call the shots as we're led by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and want the emotions down here. And we want the body, the physical, right here. We want to make sure it's in that order, always. So we got the proper order, everything's aligned, we're healthy, and praise the Lord as a result of what Jesus Christ did when He was smitten of God and afflicted, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Over in Romans chapter 5, where we read today in our Through the Bible reading, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God, we have uh, the peace of God, and then we have the God of peace, as we've preached before we have all of that. And why is that? We'll go over to chapter 6. Chapter 6. And here we read in chapter 6 and verse number 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Not over him and not over us because of what Jesus Christ has done. Physically, we may be I guess technically dying, more cells dying than are being replaced when we reach a certain age. But we've got a, a, an amount of time to live until God calls us home. It may be three score and ten, it may be four score, it may be more than that. But during that time, we are to be yielded to the direction of the Holy Spirit and led by Him and to be as healthy and as whole and as entire as we possibly can be so we can be 
the strongest and the best witness and the best ambassador for Jesus Christ that we can possibly be. J. Frank Norris, who was uh, the Texas tornado. I mean, he was a great fundamentalist preacher back in the 1920s. And he uh, lived into uh, the 1950s. But he was, he was a great preacher, a fundamental preacher, very controversial. But he used to tell all of his seminary men, uh, some whom I had the privilege of knowing, they were now older men. And I was a younger man at the time I knew them. But they would, they would tell about how J. Frank Norris would lecture them and say, now guys, you need to be physically strong. You need to work out. You need to get some weights. And you need to run so many miles. And he says, you need to take cold showers. You need to be strong. You, to be a strong preacher, you've got to have a strong body. And so he had the right idea. Serving the Lord as long as we can in this body. But the healing, the healing that is primary is the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, the relational. Now, He has saved us, praise the Lord, so we're on the right side. We're part of the family of God. But He didn't save us and then take us home. Very few people get saved and that's their deathbed and they're gone. Most people get saved and they live another 10, 20, 50 years, whatever, and uh, they're living and hopefully serving God. They need to experience... Are you listening? They need to experience wholeness. They need to experience physical, uh, spiritual, mental, emotional wholeness so they can serve the Lord effectively. That's the emphasis. It's not just being well and feeling good and, and God healed me again. I went down to church and there was a lot of hooping and hollering and shouting and praising the Lord and, and somebody hit me in the head and I went home and uh, I'm healed. That's not it. All right. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Anybody here ever deal with sheep? If you ever actually deal with sheep, all of your preconceptions about sheep will be gone. I've been told by sheep herders and sheep raisers that, that sheep are anything but just these little fuzzy lambs that you see and that you picture they can be very willful. They go their own way. And that's why you've got to have sheep dogs. You have sheep dogs to keep the sheep from going off any which way. Self-destructive? Stupid, excuse me, I'm sorry. They're just not really intelligent. And they, they need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. In Psalm 23, it ends this way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, my dad used to preach that, that uh, the goodness and mercy represented the two sheepdogs that, that the Lord Jesus would keep us from going astray and going off any old direction. We need to go as the shepherd leads us and as we're guided and kept in line. If we are going to serve the Lord effectively, we've got to go where the shepherd guides us. We've got to feed where he says, this is good, you can eat here. He, he'll take us by still waters. He will, he will take care of us. He'll watch out for the wolves. He'll, he'll watch over us. And that's what we need. We need to be going that direction. All we like sheep have gone astray. Before we got saved, we were out yonder. And he came and he found us and he brought us back. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. So the great good and kind shepherd Jesus Christ has taken the punishment, the full payment for our sin. Knowing that gives us what we talked about this morning, 
The second of three points, we have great confidence. I don't believe in self-confidence, but I believe in Christ's confidence. I believe in the confidence that we have in and through the Lord. God will keep His Word. Jesus Christ will do and fulfill what He says in the Word of God. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. It wasn't that He didn't have anything to say. It was that He chose not to speak in His own defense. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. When He was... On trial before Pilate, uh, very few, very, very uh, small economy of words were spoken. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, here it is, it pleased the Lord. That's a great mystery. It pleased the Lord. It pleased God to bruise him. So he's smitten of God. He is bruised by God. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He, in dying for us, was looking down the corridor of time. Because He is God, He's the God-man, He's dying upon the cross, He's voluntarily giving up His life, but he is, he is seeing us in the 21st century. He is dying for our sins. He is dying also to give us the wherewithal to live successfully for that length of time between the moment that we received Christ and we were, we were made alive until the day we physically die or are raptured. And during that period of time, we are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He has provided for us. He is going through this suffering both in life and in death so that we can have everything that we need to be successful in a challenging life. There he is. He was, he was bruised. He made his soul an offering for sin. We are, of course, his spiritual seed. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? Praise the Lord. We've been justified as we spoke this morning, just as if we'd never sinned. Technically, just as if we'd never uh, done wrong. All right. T technically, uh, that's what justification means. For he shall bear their iniquities. So he took it all upon himself. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors, which is what he is doing. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, uh, he said, Father, forgive them from the cross, and he continues now from his place at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us. And praise God. The blood of Jesus Christ is upon that heavenly altar. According to Hebrews chapter 12, it's still there upon that altar. He is our propitiation. He is our uh, altar. And uh, He is our mercy seat. Praise the Lord for that. All of that to say this. I don't think anybody who's here tonight, I'm looking over the crowd, I think everybody's pretty much got this straight, and hopefully everybody that's viewing and will be viewing in the future, this business of being saved. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God saves us on account of Jesus Christ. 
God saves us because Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. He bore the total price of our sins. So we don't have to do any part of that. We don't do anything. As one preacher that I referred to on the Lord's Supper evening said, when, when we are asked, when we're called to give account of ourselves and why we should be in heaven, if we begin with I, I did this, I did that, we have already added works to grace. So we don't do that. It's what He did. He did it all. He paid it all. He's the one that's responsible. We're just on the receiving end of it. That's it. So we've got the salvation business and becoming a child of God by the new birth. We've got that down. You know what we don't do so well? This business of spiritual health. This business of spiritual wholeness. I've done enough counseling to know the following illustration is true. Your life and mine is divided up into periods of time, different stages of life. You start as a small child and then you reach accountability and on through preteen and then teenage and then young adult and then maybe uh, young married and you know having a family and then into semi-retired, retired and, and prior to death. So we have all of these different stages. Those could be pictured as rooms. And I know it's a very weird looking picture, but each one of the stages of our life is kind of like a room where you can kind of, you know, kind of be comfortable. You kind of get used to that stage for five or ten years or maybe more. And between each room there is a narrow passageway. And as we pass through that narrow, narrow passageway, we find it's difficult to get from one stage to the next. By the grace of God, we do proceed. But as I've counseled so many people, it seems like what happens back in stage one or stage two or stage three, we pick up a lot of baggage that's unresolved. I'm talking about spiritual, mental, emotional, relational baggage that does not get resolved. So what do we do with it? Well, guess what? It's your baggage. It's my baggage. So we get real tiny, and we go through that passageway, and we get into the next room, and we've got this old baggage. Guess what we do? We pick up more unresolved baggage, and we take it from till we get further on down the line, and we are really messed up people. God never intended for that to be the case. He intended for us first to be saved and keep short accounts and be right with God and be right with man and, and uh, get along according to the Bible and do right and serve Him effectively. But there are people who can't serve the Lord with the greatest efficiency because they're hauling all this baggage from one room to the next, to those narrow passages. God wants us to be healthy. God wants us to be whole. He wants us to experience peace, peace with God, the, 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 you know, the peace of God and, and the God of peace. He wants us to experience that. That peace that passeth understanding. He wants us as much as is possible to live peaceably with all men. He wants us not to be concerned about how to even the score. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He wants us to be able to live like Jesus Christ lived. You know that he lived 33 plus years and he didn't have any baggage. The only baggage he ever emotionally, spiritually, mentally that he ever experienced was when he took your place and mine on the cross. All that that put him on the cross, that caused him grief, that caused him heartache, that caused him pain, everything that he felt, we caused it. We did it. 
So we ought to live victoriously. Say, I want to live victoriously. Man, I, I don't want to be the cause of that. You know, we can actually begin to see some of the great things that I'm talking about right now happen in our lives. We usually wait until it's special meetings time at church. Revival, you know, in the spring, the fall. Uh, Bible conference time, you know, uh, missions conference time. Go to camp, you know. Last night at camp, stand up around the bonfire, throw that twig in there and tell them what you're going to do and how you're going to live for God. I stood around so many bonfires, I can't count them. I threw so many twigs in those fires and made so many brash statements that, you know, I was going to do this, I was going to do that. I'm thinking about the coach of, of the Navy football team years ago. He spoke to the Christian Educators Association down in, I think it was Orlando. Uh, it was either Orlando or uh, some place in Florida, but I think it was Orlando back in the 70s. And he's, he was the coach that coached Roger Staubach, if that means anything to anybody. Roger, Roger Dodger. He could, he could boy, he could, Dallas Cowboys in their first winning era. But uh, he said, man, he would go to these conferences, these men's conferences, and he'd stand up and he'd say, I'm going to live for Jesus. Then he'd, in a week or two, he'd be back to the old habits. And the reason was he had the wrong uh, recipe. And the wrong formula. And finally, he said, he finally got it right. He said, Lord, would, would you honor me with 5, 10, 15 minutes of your time every morning? I'll be in the Word. Lord, would, would you help me would, instead of what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do? See, we get this thing wrong. We didn't get saved by I'm going to. And we can't be successful by I'm going to. You can't throw that twig in the fire and come home from camp or or walk the aisle at the revival meeting and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. No, 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 no. It's what God's going to do through us. It's what we're going to yield to Him. We have got to be willing to let loose of that emotional baggage. We want to get even. We want vengeance. You know, we had that bad experience. We can't get over it. We can't forgive that adult who mistreated us or spoke ill of us or didn't do right by us and so on and so forth. So we're hauling all this baggage all around and we can't possibly serve God the way he wants us to serve Him. I was reading in Oswald Chambers today. And I love Oswald Chambers. He and A.W. Tozer, among my favorite authors outside of the Word of God. And he said this, A man may be perfected through suffering or be made worse through suffering. It depends on his disposition. Boy, isn't that the truth. He's right. God will permit suffering difficulties in our life for a reason. So that we'll look to Him and be dependent. To look to Him and be dependent, we've got to come to Him with empty hands. We've got to let go of that luggage, that baggage that we're hauling around. Let the Lord take us, do something in our heart and life. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have time to get into all the things as I was reading Oswald Chambers here recently. Uh, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We're not acquainted with grief in the way in which our Lord was acquainted with grief. We endure it. We get through it. We, you know, we just, you know, work through it. But we don't experience it like the Lord does because He experiences it for us in our behalf. People say there should be no sorrow in life. Things ought to be ideal. This is not heaven. It is what it is. You need to accept it just exactly 
the way it is. And the sorrow and the sadness that we experience in life, we take a page from our Lord's life and we see how He handled it. Today there are people who absolutely, they will say, I know it's a sin to worry, and then they go out and worry anyway. There was a fellow in the French army, World War I. He carried a little piece of paper with him. It was written in French, but I'll give you the English gist of it. He had in his, in his pockets, as of two things, one is certain. Either you are at the front or you are behind the lines. If you are at the front, one of two things is certain. Either you are exposed to danger or you in a, you're in a safe place. If you're exposed to danger, uh, two, uh, one of two things is certain. Either you are wounded or you're not wounded. If you are wounded, one of two things is certain. Either you recover or you die. If you recover, there's no need to worry. If you die, you can't worry anymore. So why worry? I like that. Think of that French soldier. I don't know if he was much of a soldier, but he had the right, that piece of paper in his pocket was absolutely right. John Wesley said, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm not going to let life get to me. He's, he said that John Wesley, who was into holiness, he thought. So he would strive every day to, to be holy. He had a thing called the Holy Club. That's, that's how much he tried to be holy and live right. He said, I'd rather swear as worry. And here's a guy that would never take the Lord's name in vain. But he says, worrying is more destructive even than that. Think about that. The devil, the devil wants to get you to focus on what's not right. The devil wants you to get focused on the process that the Lord is going to use to bring us into conformity with His perfect will so we'll be more like Jesus and we'll live like Jesus. And so that sickness or that heartache or that loss of a relationship, that's all permitted by God so that we'll be yielded to the Spirit of God, the direction of God in our life. And live the way God wants us to live. There it is. You don't have to be afraid of things that are going to come because I'm going to tell you quite frankly, things will come. You don't have to be afraid of things that will happen because things will happen. Problems, challenges, difficulties, heartaches, burdens, hurt. Instead of taking it personally, give it to God. Let Him use it to mold you and make you and then move on. Move from one stage to the next. Don't... don't Grab onto that baggage and say, somebody mistreated me. I don't know why God let this happen. I don't know why God did that to me, and so forth. Instead, move right along. The whole time, God is permitting us to go through difficulties. He's loving us. And He's looking after us. And He's watching over us. I'm thinking about the Asian woman. Lost as can be, following her her false religion. She went, uh, she went down to the heathen temple and there they, they give out little pieces of paper wrapped up in little packages and this is how you're supposed to get your inspiration, your guidance. Instead of the word of God, which is true, they'd get a little package and they would open it up and read it like a fortune cookie kind of thing. And a little piece of paper that she got out of her package said, there is no help for you. Lean on your own strength and go on. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. So she was beside herself. She was desperate. She was in despair. And missionary happened by and saw her 
and told her about our Savior who was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed, we're made whole. We're saved, yes, and we're made whole along the way. And she said this after receiving Jesus as her Savior. She said, I always hoped that there was a God like that. Now I know Him. Now I know Him. Amen. As we've been speaking to you tonight, I'm sure that your mind has been working. You've been thinking about ways in which you need the Lord to intervene in your life. And may it always be for His glory and not simply for our own comfort. But I want you to consider something. That Jesus Christ Himself is the antidote for our anxiety. That He is the one who gives us meaning and purpose through whatever suffering, whatever we are lacking, whatever we have to go through. He is the one who is able uh, to uh, forgive us, and He is the one who is able to heal us, and He is the one who is able to bring us through, praise the Lord, because He Himself has been there. Anyone who is able to bear the sins of mankind is able to take care of my problems and yours. We just need to turn them over to Him. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be healthy for uh, our being able to be His ambassador, the best servant that we can be between here and heaven. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart about something in that message tonight. Slip your hand up high. Yes, God bless you. I'm wondering if there's something that you want to pray about. In just a moment, we'll extend the invitation, give you an opportunity to come from where you are, have a word of prayer. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I would urge you right now to pray from your heart to God and pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. If you've done that, won't you come and indicate that to us? If you desire baptism or membership, if you want to come and pray, urge you to come. I'm going to ask you now to stand.
what condescension bringing up redemption that in the dead of night no one may God gracious then Oh, 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 oh,